0: Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. So this week I want to talk a little bit about economy in OD&D, basically. There is a section in the back of the book that has expenses at 1% of the PC's total experience points per month. That doesn't really amount to much. So I think I'm going to change that a little bit, but once they settle down, that is. But what's interesting is that the PCs have gone through the stage where they've had a lot of cash and are now very broke. And that's because of spell casters. So in OD&D, you must pay for spell books. At least that's how I'm interpreting the rules. And because I don't allow clerics to just automatically know every spell, they also have to pay for spell research, both clerics and magic users. So they went from having like almost 80,000 gold pieces worth of gems and jewelry and platinum and stuff To being broke and now out searching for stuff again pretty quickly when they leveled up and needed to accumulate some new spell books. A 5th level spell book for the cleric cost 32,000 gold pieces. So they couldn't afford that. And the thing is the cleric can now cast 5th level spells. Which means they want to get themselves some 32,000 gold pieces and also another 32,000 or something like that. Because they're going to want to learn Raise Dead. And Raise Dead will really be a game changer here. We have these characters who have been traveling through the world, kind of kicking butt and doing their thing. And now they've reached this level where they're really powerful, but you definitely don't want to lose them, right? And, you know, some people are opposed to Raise Dead and stuff, but I think that OD&D is gonzo and weird enough that I don't think it's going to be a problem. I honestly don't feel like it's going to be an issue. What's really interesting about the whole thing is that three of my players have actually got custom minis made now of their characters. So, you know, that's a death toll right there. So let's hope that the raised dead comes soon, right? One of the characters has already died. Not one that made a custom mini, of course. And they have been reincarnated, which was quite expensive for the party. So they're now off following a treasure map. And I think treasure maps are really interesting. Now, if you are part of my Patreon, you know this. But if not, then you're going to find out now. I'm starting a solo play uh, actual Play, I should call it, that's going to be on my Bandits Keep Actual Play YouTube channel. It's going to start uh, probably the beginning of January, but I've already shot, a, shot some episodes. I feel like I'm like some TV show or something. You know, I'm trying to get myself ahead a bit. And I'm using something that I call the mapper. I'm sending a character out to map out where the locations of the dungeons are as kind of a fun little solo project. But the reason why I bring this up is because I was looking at the maps that I was bringing in and I was thinking to myself... Is this a little bit weird that there's so many treasure maps? But then I started looking at OD&D. And when you get, if you look at the chart for the, if you actually roll on the charts for treasure, under the magic column or whatever, a lot of things say any. And in OD&D, unlike, let's say, BX, if you get an any result, there's another table you roll on. 1 through 75 is magic item. 75 to 100 is a map so that means a full one quarter of the any magic items and if you look at that list a lot of what comes up is any are maps so that's super super interesting so we should have in the world tons and tons of treasure maps and i'm actually somewhat surprised that my party has only recovered two so far and but they've only really hit a few major hordes i guess that's probably why but they actually have two treasure maps, but one's like from like two worlds ago. So they're probably not going to go back to that one. This one is a local one. So they're going to hopefully be able to go after it. That's where they started going. But that's another thing I'm going to talk a little bit about, kind of sidestepping here, is that OD&D, or at least the way I'm playing it, which I am trying to be as true to the rules as possible. And in fact, the rules even talk about other worlds and stuff, is the perfect game to run like a portal jumping crazy gonzo. Situation Because the rules and stuff are set up to be just such a framework that you can really build just about anything around it. I mean, in OD&D, in the fourth printing, which is the one I have, they have stuff for Mars. So if you go to Mars, there's, you know, creatures from the John Carter series. So, you know, the, the intention is like that you might go to other planets. The book even talks about it. And it's really, really cool and interesting to know that right from the very beginning, before Planescape, before Dark Zone, before Dragonlance, before any of these other settings, OD&D was already saying, hey, go out there and do it, right? Have awesome portal jumping. Have people travel to other worlds. Have them go into space. And this is the core of what is built up, you know, the RPGs to this day. So I think it's really cool to look back, as I've talked about before, and and not even, like, see it again, but see it for the first time, because I never really looked at od and is so diverse in what you can do with it that it just it blows my mind sometimes. Now, I have a few calls, but before I hit that, I want to actually hit another topic that doesn't have anything to do with what we were just talking about. But I was looking in—so, uh, as you probably know, if you're listening to this podcast, I have been developing a system using Chainmail, because that's what od tells you to use for combat— but they also give you these alternate system. And of course, that's the one that became popular. And one of my biggest problems with that system is that it nerfs fighters big time. But I kind of had this like a meet me halfway idea. Like if you wanted to use that chart, you could still use the fighting capability from the, the other part, right? So you could say like fighters, let's say a first level fighter fights as men plus one. So they would get a plus one to their attack rolls, right? A second level fighter who fights as two men would get two attack rolls. A third level fighter, I mean, fighters scale, so pretty much every level they go up one man. Not everybody else does though. Like a third level magic user is only two men, where a third level fighter is three men. I think the same thing is true of cleric is two men. And you can do it any number of ways. Well, you could just make it a bunch of attacks, which would be really devastating, but you could also use it as almost like an advantage system, right? The fighter, when they make their attack rolls, a number of D20s equal to their level, and they just take the best one making the fighters' odds to hit way better, even if they still use the same table that everybody else does. So that would, of course, require everybody to make it fair, I guess. It would require everybody to do that, but really, it's mostly fighters that are, that are going to be rolling handfuls of dice. And I think if you're a fighter, you probably want to do that. So I don't know. Let me know what you think about that idea. I do have a few calls, so uh, let's get to those.
1: Yo, Daniel, so just digging into your latest episode, I guess I'll have to go back to listen to what Taylor had to say, but I think it's an interesting definition of plot to say it has to be some linear thing where you know all the answers. I mean, every single module that's ever been published ever has a plot. The Village of Homily has a plot. The Temple of Elemental Evil has a plot. A plot is what's going on in the world. That's the plot. And then how the players deal with it is how they deal with it. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I've never heard it described as you have to know, it has to be some linear progression for a plot. Like, you know, against the cult of the reptile god, that's a plot. There's an evil cult that's trying to take over this town. The characters are going to try and deal with it. That's a plotted out adventure. I've never played in a role playing game ever, ever, that didn't have a plot. (laughs) You know, they all have plots. Every game anyone has ever run has a plot. The plot is what's going on in the world. That's the plot. Here's the thing. How do your characters deal with this plot? Uh, So, yeah, man, I don't know. Like I said, I'll have to go back to listen to what Taylor had to say, but I just wanted to chime in. Awesome episode. Let me get back into it. Peace out.
2: Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Just want to say I'm listening to your new episode on more about the plot in OSR and yeah, I think that's almost become, if not the standard, one of the standard formats now. When when you look at these adventure paths from Paizo and from Wizards of the Coast, and, and even and it's not new to that, right? So let's look at uh, older thing like Carl's been over at the Gameologist Presents talks about running Warhammer Fantasy Role Playings, famous the Enemy Within campaign, and he talks about certain places in there. Where certain events have to happen or are supposed to happen. So I, I don't think this is a new thing. Now, it may be that Hick- Hickman and them started it. It may be that those Dragonlance novel or modules were the beginning of this in the industry. I don't know. I haven't done that, that scholarly work. But with you know, it's very predominant these days with a lot of things from the big companies, particularly adventure paths and you know, the equivalent that Watsi puts out. So Anyway, let me get, I just paused five minutes in, wanted to call that in, and now I'm going to finish listening to the episode. Before I get into the call section of your show, I agree with you 110%. I am with you on how you use, how you describe to use plot. That's what I do. I, I think the the difference is with, with these pre-published things, like they say, well, the party is definitely going to get a boat at this point in the adventure, and then you're going to take it away from them in that point of the adventure, that is y you, you know, what we're railing against, right? Where you you know, if you put it out there and if the PCs get a boat great, if they don't get a boat great, that's different. And I am yeah, so I'm in agreement with with you on that. Great episode, and let me listen to your response to the calls.
0: Okay, that was Joe Richter from the Hind Sightless Podcast and Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. Both kind of saying the same thing in the end that there is plot. There's definitely a story that's going on right when the when the character when Robin Hood arrives back from the war right the sheriff of Nottingham ha- is being a jerk basically and he's going to come in there because he's Robin Hood right he's the player character he wants to change that because that's his belief system and Robin Hood is going to come and they're going to make a change right they're going to how they're going to do it though is not dictated in theory right that's the we'll call it the good plot the bad plot would be character arrives, must get captured, must get released at a certain time, must join with these NPCs, must do this. Those are things where I think become that becomes more railroad, which is unfortunately what a lot of people think of when you say plot. So at least some people think that. So anyways, I think that we need to be maybe more a little descriptive, a little bit more descriptive, I guess, when we explain things, and then we won't have those problems because 100%. I think that it's totally fine and totally how I do things to have a plot going on and you insert the player characters into it. I don't like the idea of forcing their hand. And usually if I'm running a module that I like otherwise, but does force something like that out of game, I will tell the characters the the, I mean, the players, not the characters. I'll say, listen, I like this module, but it kind of makes you do this at this point. So just kind of bear with me through the. That part, And usually they're like, fine, you know, I mean, most, most players aren't that hardcore against railroading. I am, I'm a complete jerk at the table because I hate being railroaded, but most players are pretty chill and better players than me, I guess. (laughs) In any case, thanks guys for calling. That's really great to hear from you. I would love to hear what anybody else thinks about this or any other podcast I've made. Or just some random thing. Oh, by the way, I have a new podcast called Monsters and Treasure. I will put a link in the show notes. I'm doing it with my friend Kevin. We're basically just talking about a whole bunch of different topics. As of now, we have two that have been published. One is about, you know, monsters not attacking or why they shouldn't always attack. And the other one is about healing and gods in the world. Like, why isn't everybody just being healed? Like, why are there kids with diseases if clerics can just walk around and do cure disease every day? So, anyways... We cover the hard-hitting topics like that. If you're interested in listening to that podcast, I'll put a note in I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to send me a message, you can do so by following the anchor link if you'd like, or join my Discord. You can send me a message there, or if you're part of a Discord that I'm part of, like Clerics Wear Ringmail or Audio Dungeon, you can just look me up there and send me a message. I'll play it on the air and we shall discuss. Still looking for a really good closer, but for now I'll just say I'll talk to you soon.